Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Yes, Brian, radio show every Thursday on KHTS. Now, people always ask us, why is our show called Ask Brian? My name is Peter. My co-host is Tracy. Our engineer is Emily, and today is Patrick. Hello. Hey. And nobody understands why it's called Ask Brian, so we'll give you that little hint in a second. But also, everyone says, why are you spelling Brian with an E? You know, most people know Brian as B-R-Y-A-N or B-R-I-A-N, and you spell it B-R-I-E-N. And, you know, yes, I go to the pub every week, and it's called O'Brien's. <laughs> Patty O'Brien's, not Patrick, though. And I go there every week, and yes, that's where I have a nice little beer every week. But O'Brien, you know, we're not O'Brien, we're Ask Brian. And mm-hmm. everybody wants to know, why is there an E in Brian, and what does the E stand for? So we've actually made a list. And if you listen to the show, you probably got it. But we have made a list of a little different reasons why we have an E in Brian. And it goes to the theme of our show. Yeah. And for those that aren't familiar, well, sit right in. Let us tell you. The E's, as you said, are the... <laughs> Tracy. Tracy, there is no E in laughing. Tracy broke me. I was trying to keep that with a straight face. I couldn't. Tell us, Patty. Uh, will I now? Patrick is like that genie. You know, you have that little thing and you go, and you rub it and then boom. <laughs> you mean I'm Robin Williams' genie from Aladdin? <laughs> I mean, I can be quite the character. Well, the, the post-COVID version of Patty is just electric. <laughs> That's an E. Oh, that was your favorite. We didn't That's get your... into it yet. I'm going to say it again. I just wanted to kill it. I'll set you up for it later, Trace. I'll get you. <laughs> The postcard version of Patty is engaging. Yeah, there we go. If I wasn't already, I'm even more engaging, yes. <laughs> even more engaging. And then, sorry, I'm just going to out myself here. So, robust in your enthusiasm. Go ahead. Well, explain to us why we have an E in Brian. Because, as you said, they're all themes that make up the whole show. Tracy may have kind of given away hers, but we'll set that up for an even grander scale. One of the most important E's is actually... Education. Not only that, but today, folks, mm-hmm. education is not just part of the Ask Brian E, but we have somebody that's going to talk about education. Oh. So we've got a double E. It's like how E equals MC squared, but yeah. in this case, it's E not equals really education C. squared. But the E is squared at this point. Fair education enough. on the show uh-huh. and education, because that's going to be our topic for Well, today. sounds like we have a very educational show in particular. Today. We always try to be educational. But even more so. But exactly. yes. Obviously, as everybody can kind of tell at the beginning of this show, I'm bringing some enthusiasm and... Excitement! Peter's bringing the excitement. (laughs) He brings the excitement. I bring the enthusiasm. At least today I am. I thought you'd bring the engineering. Hey-oh, that also leads us in engineering, which is normally Emily, but filling in today. So engineer is now Patrick for today. Emily is also an E. She's not here, but she's here in spirit. So Emily's an E. Shout out. You don't even have any sounds? I do. Bring some of the sounds when you bring some of these. Bring those when you bring some of these. What are the other reasons we have ease? Before the interviewing goes like, what did I get myself into? Because um, there's also experts, because everybody that's brought onto the Ask Brian show is an expert. And, <laughs> and because Patrick, math is not his number one skill. I get him every week. I don't want to hit him up this hard. So we will go over that. To be an expert, yes, you need to have 10,000 hours. 
and the 10,000 hours are calculated. I'll do that for you because <laughs> even though trying to educate me, it has not worked. Do <laughs> <laughs> you hear the boo at that one, Tracy? <laughs> If you work 40 hours a week and no entrepreneur works 40, work 80 to 90. But if you work 40 hours a week and you work 50 weeks a year, two weeks a year off for holidays and vacation, okay, that's 2,000. You work five years, that's 10,000 hours. If you have 10,000 hours in something, we deem you to typically be an expert. That could be in anything. Okay, if you have 10,000 hours in engineering, you're an expert engineer. Huh. And that's how we calculate it. You know what? Golf clap for that. Golf clap. We did math today. <laughs> Tracy's losing it. Tracy, no more gummy bears. (laughs) (laughs) I did not eat lunch before. (laughs) Apparently, Uh, that's embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, man. And then we had experts uh, experience because everybody is very experienced in their field of choice here on the S. Brand Show and guests as well. And that's pretty similar to being an expert. But we did make two different experts in experience. Oh, let's see. Empathy is another big one. I don't know why. He's not very empathetic. It's very overrated. It's very easy for Peter to forget the empathy one to say. It's very true. But that's where me and Tracy come in. We're very empathetic people. That's because you don't have the yeah. ego. Is that a new E? <laughs> that's Peter. New e. That's it's his E. Funny who it was that brought that one forward. I know, right? Hmm. We do have to get to the show. So wait, wait, wait. We're forgetting two of them. But Tracy. <laughs> Go bring it. What what was Grease Lightning? Okay, my favorite E of all time is... Before before the show is over. (laughs) And And one of the newer E's, entrepreneurs. That's what we try to cater to, the entrepreneurs. Now, if our guest hasn't said, oh my God, (laughs) what did I get myself into? Where am I? And what's going on? Are you still there? Have you left the show? Have you taken off? I am still here. I was calculating my hours. <laughs> years as an entrepreneur. Well, you almost spent 10,000 hours just waiting for us. <laughs> Fair enough. Our guest is Greg Davies. Is that correct? Is that pronunciation? That's correct. All right, Greg. Woohoo! So, Greg, so my understanding is you have this company called Full Measure. That's what you're currently working on. And before we get into that, people want to know a little bit about your background before you started Full Measure. We can get like a quick 20, 30 second background of your past before you started this company. And then we'll get into the company, why you started it and what it's all about. Happy to do that. I've about 25 years in higher education software. So I've been bringing products to market since the mid 90s when I graduated from college. So I would write from being a student, trying to help students. So I think by my calculations, I'm somewhere over 50,000 hours invested in bringing products to market to help students better navigate colleges, be more successful at exiting colleges with a degree that leads to a happier, healthier, more productive life. How about a job <laughs> after college? Oh, uh, well, I've been there most of the time. By the way, I don't know if everybody knows this, but my sister is the dean of SUNY New York at Binghamton. So I have an educator in my family. Where's your shout out for that? No, nothing. No clap. Nothing. <laughs> I think we decided to be shocking now. Just <laughs> and I'll just say one last thing. Her resume is 29 pages long. So I guess you get paid. Oh, my God. <laughs> she gets the applause for that. <laughs> yeah. If you have a resume that's 29 pages long, you got to get something. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's go back and find out more information about Greg. That's quite a background you've got there. When you say software, are you like a programmer or you just come up with educational software ideas and then have other people prepare them for you? A very long time ago, I was a programmer, but my skills are what you would call deprecating these days. So now I'm more likely to draw it on a piece of paper and have someone else build it. 
actually actually killed anything myself. There are much younger, much more qualified people doing that work for me. And so what was the first software that you worked on? And then how did you come up with this concept? So a relatively popular product. I was one of the original five people who started the company called Blackboard in 1997. At one point, Blackboard was being used in about 80% of the colleges and universities in the U.S. It was course management software. So as schools were for the first time starting to put educational content online, make it available 24-7, start to have fully online classes. Blackboard was the predominant platform in the U.S. and, and a number of other countries. It was being used to bring that content online. That sounds great. And then how did you come up to this? I don't want to go through the whole history because we don't have that much time. How did you come up with this new latest concept that you've got in your current endeavor, full measure? Sure. I had a pit stop in between Blackboard and here where I started a company that provided customer service and hired out. We took about 10 million student phone calls across the student life cycle. So this was more in the administrative student life cycle as opposed to the academic, which Blackboard was focused on. And in the course of taking 10 million student phone calls, you hear a lot of friction sometimes in the administrative processes. And so this company was founded to take a lot of the data systems and processes that exist in higher ed today and move them to the smartphone to make it simpler and easier to get through the administrative processes that are required in order to stay in good standing with your institution and move forward and eventually hopefully graduate. What are the top three things that you learned during that time frame with 10 million students that were the three biggest issues that you learned about? I mean, number one, most students in this generation don't know what a burst are is, and we should probably rename that office. They don't <laughs> understand whether they need to go to pay bills. That was one way very quite frequently. You know, you know, I think it varies from institution to institution and state to state, and county to county, you know, regulations are different, rules are different, processes are different. But there are a lot of friction points in the administrative student life cycle that make it difficult for students, particularly first-generation students, and low-income students to stay on track. And, you know, it doesn't take much to not a low-income student off track, and then they become the wrong type of statistic. There's good data out there from Bill Mooney Gates and other places. Nine out of 10 students drop out for non-academic reasons. So a card rips down, they don't file their facts on time, things like that. We work very, very hard to make sure that they're getting information to their mobile device as they need it to be able to make the right decision, follow the right form at the right time, and not fall behind on some of that administrative stuff that they can continue to register for courses and attend courses and graduate. Well, for me, the two biggest issues I had, and you mentioned one of them, I think, is financial aid. To go through the financial aid packet, get all that information, and get it in on time, there's a lot of work involvement for that. And then the other part was signing up for my courses. In the old, old days with the Pony Express, we actually had to go down to like a table and sign up for that stuff. And nowadays, I imagine you just click on a box and click class, and when the class gets filled, it gets filled. But I mean, getting into classes was tough. I thought on the administrative side and getting my financial aid, that was my two. But as we say, everyone has their own issues on an administrative part of it. I clearly hear you and understand that. So how have you streamlined those type of things? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is allowing students to do things on their phone that previously were required to be done in person. So there still are, and I've been all over the country from rural areas in Texas and Louisiana to Escanaba, Michigan, and the Upper Peninsula, and worked with schools of all types, so the Stanford's, but also the Rankin Technical Colleges in Arkansas. And it just depends on where you are, but in a lot of cases, if you're a community college, the average student attending is 28 years old, and a lot of them have families, they work hourly jobs in a lot of cases, and now you have an administrative office that's only open nine to five Monday through Friday. You have to show up to show your ID once a year to get in state tuition. You live 40 miles from campus. You're talking about taking a half day off work to go wait in your line to show your ID. And if you don't do that, you don't get in state tuition, then your Pell Grant doesn't cover your 
you know, your classes and then you stop out and you become the, you know, the wrong kind of statistic. And the ability to touch the uh, student and say, we need to pop your driver's license and pop their camera on their phone, take that picture and have that task crossed off changes the outlook for a lot of students that aren't in a situation where they have time to waste waiting and lying at an institution. How do people find you? I mean, this is the first time I had ever heard of any company out there that did anything of that nature. How would people even find you? Well, we work with colleges directly. So if you're a student at San Bernardino Valley College, you know, our software is interacting with you on a pretty regular basis, or Napa Valley College or Stanford or Pittsburgh, for example, in California. We're working with the students from those institutions because the institutions have contracted with us to work with that software. Tracy likes the Napa Valley one for the wine taste. I personally signed up for that on-site uh, institution, so I went there. And then you visited about 12 different places just to see where a good off-site location would be. X winery and Z winery and A winery. But that's really amazing. So how many colleges are there and how many colleges are using your software? You can probably find a lot of different numbers for how many colleges there are. But there are about 4,500 degree-granting institutions in the U.S. that receive Title IV funds. So that's a good baseline number. There's about 4,500. We currently work with about 10% of the colleges in the country, including City Bampton, by the way. Where's my call off my sister? No, Patrick's like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, my, uh, I'm on my iPad checking out the scores of the football game. Got it. All right, no problem. There's no football on right now. <laughs> Actually, preseason's tonight. But again, not right now. <laughs> Depends on your time zone and when you're listening to our podcast. Not a time traveler, not yet at least. Some people are listening to the podcast. Remember, this is a podcast. Oh. They can be listening on a Sunday at 1 o'clock. <laughs> on a football Sunday from like five weeks from now, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they're going to be doing. <laughs> Nothing quite says football. I'm glad everybody agrees. All right. So. <laughs> like Ask Brian. <laughs> I don't know. I'd take Ask Brian over a football game any day. Uh, let's see. Who's your biggest competitor? We have multiple products, and they compete with different companies. There's some big education software companies like EMB, Education Advisory Board here in D.C., where we are, would be one that we run into quite frequently. It sounds to me there's like different product categories are in within the educational field. So can you give us three main ones? Sure. A lot of our work is in the admissions office. And one of the most popular things to do with our product is to build virtual tours that are personalized and use user-generated content. The students actually filming videos themselves rather than like the glossy drone flyovers and the 360 panorama views. So if I'm a student and I want to take a walking tour from Stanford, I can select my interest and it generates a tour. And when I scan a building with my phone, it uses augmented reality to pop videos from real students talking about what it's like to be an engineering major at Stanford and things like that. Wow. That's probably the best example of a standalone product that we have that's built on the mobile device. There was two parts left of the question of the three most important products or three biggest products you had. One was got the concept of like a virtual tour. That's how I thought about it, but maybe a different methodology that you're using. What are the two others? So the second product that I would highlight for you focuses on the moment of acceptance. And so a lot of institutions now are using our platform to notify accepted students via their mobile device. And from there, they can interact with a whole lot of content that used to come in an acceptance packet and that's physical now and do things like share institution-branded TikTok filters into filters, snap lenses, so they can celebrate with their network that they've been accepted. And, you know, if Ohio State is a client, so if you get into Ohio State, you may get a chance to dance around with uh, Bucky, the mascot, on Instagram to celebrate that moment. 
But then inside there as well, you can do some things very, very quickly. So you can one tap register for orientation. You can go make a deposit for your housing. You can forward it to your parents and they'll get a different letter that's more tailored towards what they need to know and how they can stay in touch with the institution through the process. And it takes that paper mailing process and turns it into a very dynamic opportunity to interact via your mobile device with the institution. Wow. All about efficiencies, what I'm gathering. And what was the third? We do a lot of work with Res Life on campus. So if you're a student at Gonzaga, you can hear through our platform about moving day particulars, sort of coordinating moving day to make it a more streamlined process, which anyone who's done any moving in of students, and I have with three kids now, understands that somewhat chaotic day. But then also staying in touch with one of the most important things when it comes to predicting success or failure for a student is how that transition happens. Do they feel fit with the institution? Do they connect with a student club or organization or have a good experience with their roommate or their homemates, et cetera. And so institutions are using our platform to better connect first-year students with campus resources via their mobile device. That sounds excellent. Tracy, you had a couple of questions. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking back on, so I applied to two colleges because I thought I was going to get into one and it was the University of Virginia. And when that letter came, it was really thin, like really, really, really thin. <laughs> Pretty much knew when I got that letter from the University of Virginia that I was going to my second choice. So fascinating to think how from then to now, how much the college experience in general has changed and how technology has enhanced that. What are some of the different tech tools, marketing tools that universities are using to reach more people? So I think there is a transition happening in higher education where they moved some years ago from paper-based mailings to email. And now they're recognizing that they're just not getting a lot of people receiving their emails and opening them and reading them and then taking the actions they want them to take. And so the move now is to the mobile device. And so there are a number of platforms out there that allow institutions to better connect with students on their mobile device. And every one of those campaigns is seeing 5, 10x more engagement than anything that happens via email with Gen Z students that you're trying to recruit. Well, I would say, too, that Gen Z students have literally grown up with a phone in their hands since they were in middle school, at least. Having their own phone in middle school before that, using their parents and things like that, it's really a make for a much more natural transition for them. It's what they're already used to. If you were sending them mail, that would almost be a disruptor to them, I would think. That's certainly the case. And a lot of institutions, too, you know, that one of the big focuses in higher education as an industry is on, obviously, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and making sure that they're recruiting and focused on social mobility. And the reality is about a third of low-income Americans are smartphone dependent. The only access the internet they have is on their phone. So if you're providing them with digital content and information that's not optimized for their smartphone, they're not going to see it. And for these schools, they have to update everything to be smartphone first in order to give an opportunity for the populations they're trying to recruit to have a shot at actually getting through the process of onboarding to an institution. And then do you feel like as a result, too, that this is setting them up for a much more successful journey through their freshman year because they have these opportunities to have these connection points, data points, and inclusion points in terms of what clubs to join and what pathways to take instead of just landing there on the first day and being completely overwhelmed? There's a huge opportunity here for that. And that is, you know, you want to find your fit. You bring to that campus a set of interests, motivators, values, goals, and you want to find that mirrored in the campus community. And if you're a student and freshman at University of Michigan, they have 800 clubs and organizations. And it's very difficult to figure out which one is not for me. And if I take a tour on our platform and I select my interests, 
I can then message that student their first week on campus and say, based on your interest here, 10 club recommendations, this is when they're meeting and we'd love to, you know, RSVP on your behalf. And getting that student out to that first club, that first day is such a big indicator of whether or not they're going to feel comfortable on campus and come back after Thanksgiving. I think that's so amazing and really just way to also keep them more accountable to being able to plug in quickly and then academically, does this give them other opportunities to connect with future professors and things like that? Certainly. And it's about finding fit, critical in that first semester, and anything we can do to make those connections with parts of campus life that are important to that individual strengthens their commitment and their connection to the institution. And with roommate situation, do they get to like FaceTime their roommates, pick their roommates this way? Or is that something that also comes into consideration? We don't do that. There are some roommate matching products out there in the market. And then, you know, I can tell you anecdotally, my kids, they just connected on Instagram with whoever their roommate was and started talking about who's bringing what, what was the first activity they wanted to go to with their new roommate. Oh, that's so fun. Makes me want to go back to college again. Just kidding. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey story towards education. What was it that inspired you to take this path for your own career? Uh, interestingly enough, I took many years to finish my degree and went to multiple institutions. I started at a community college. I took some time off. I transferred three times. I ended up graduating with, I think, six new extra credits for a bachelor's degree because so many didn't transfer. I have like a bachelor and a half degree. And so when I got out, thought about kind of why my journey was so twisted and why could I make it simpler and more straightforward for the next generation to come through and started with online courses and now have moved towards the administrative life cycle and how can we make that as frictionless as possible and as easy for students as possible. And what was one of the things that was a big challenge for you in building and launching and becoming an entrepreneur? I think fortunately for me, I was so young when Blackboard started. I had no idea how hard it was or what challenges we would face. And so we just sort of came in bright-eyed and we got beaten down a few times here and there. We made all the classic mistakes I'm sure that young entrepreneurs make. But ultimately, we were super passionate about what we were doing and we were bringing good products to market. And so we were able to fight through the first-time entrepreneur mistakes and still build a very good company that had a big impact on people. And then did you exit that company? Yeah, well, Blackboard, we raised about $110 million, went public in 2004, and then was sold in a private equity transaction in 2011. So that's a pretty aggressive entrepreneurial journey for your first time out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we get the working rate time, 97, that's people just gone public, money was flowing, then 2000, dot-com burst, but thankfully we actually had software revenue for a matter of price customers, so. We weren't reliant on eyeballs, and we were able to weather that storm pretty effectively and get to a good exit. I think a lot of people who would have that level of success on a venture in the time frame that you're talking about, they might just, like, stop there, maybe, be an advisor, be a consultant, but you really chose to kind of dig back into doing another startup. I did it twice. Yeah, this is my third one. And I'm interested in doing it any other way. I love the conceptual phases of what big thing can we do? What big impact can we have? Being mission-driven and small. And I think that's where you find things that are really impactful. Start with small groups. And I don't think you'll ever see me taking over an existing organization. And I'd much rather start with a whiteboard and a couple of good people. Where do you see the innovation in this space going? 
Yeah, it's obviously we have somewhat tunnel vision because of what we do, but moving to mobile devices is critically important for colleges, particularly, like I said, for the audiences that they're trying to target in terms of social mobility. And I think you've got a lot of legacy systems in college campuses that have a lot of data in them that's very predictive of future states and the degree to which you can successfully access that data and make predictions about whether a student is moving off track. The earlier you can remediate, the more likely you are to be able to solve the problem. So I think that's the big challenge with higher education is how do we get that data and use it to make sure that someone who needs access to the food pantry gets it, someone who needs access to mental health counseling gets it, someone who needs an emergency grant because their car broke down or they lost their job and they can't pay their rent that month gets it so that they can stay on track towards attaining their degree. Tracy had a couple more questions to ask, Greg. Yes, so I had a question from our listeners about how the actual process works. Can you walk us through, like, I'm a student and I get my acceptance letter, yay, what happened? You finally got accepted. Oh, sure. I know, finally got accepted. Yeah, so you get the text. You get an immediate text from the institution that says, we've got big news, and then you click the link, and it takes you into a possessive web app in your browser, and and from there, you can interact with all the content. So you can take next steps, you can make a deposit, you can register for orientation, as I mentioned before, you can share on social. I think you have a lot of options there. So you're getting information that's critical for you to understand about deadlines and what, what needs to happen, and you're getting opportunities to celebrate, share the news with your supporters. So parents, whoever it is, who you want to tell that you got in and you can forward the acceptance letter to them. And from there, they can start to take those next steps. So get into orientation and then from there, make a deposit for their dorm, et cetera. How do the high school students know about the app and that they can activate it? So they don't need to know because the institutions license our software and then they upload the list of accepted students. Once they tap in their CRM at the school that they've accepted a student, it automatically triggers that message through our platform. So they don't have to, the students don't have to go and do anything. They'll get the text from the institution when they get accepted. I just wondered if you ever have anyone who thinks that might be spam as a text, but they might miss out on the whole joy of the acceptance experience. <laughs> so schools using our platform do a pretty good job of filtering out numbers that they're not allowed to text. They don't have explicit permission to text. And so anyone they don't have permission to text, um, they're still going to get either an email or a mail from pack or both. Yeah, it's so exciting. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the product or maybe just get a little bit of mentoring advice from somebody who's done this so successfully? What's the best way for our listeners to reach out and get in touch with you? For any institutions, it would be to go to fullmeasure.io, just anyone interested in who we are. So fullmeasure.io, and actually two institutions from LA that have already gone there during the center to register for more information. So thank you for that. If you're a prospective student, you can go to tours.fullmeasure.io, and you can see all of the institutions that use us for virtual tours, and you can go look at what real students have to say about what their gardening looks like and how they're enjoying their time there, what programs they're in that they think are, you might enjoy. So highly recommend any prospective students, any high school students, anyone thinking about going back to college, go to tours.fullmeasure.io and check out all the tours we have available. Well, this episode has been packed full of some really good information. And if you are listening and you want to listen to it again, then make sure you check out our podcast where you can get this on demand, especially all the resources that were mentioned will be in the show notes for the episode. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Follow the Ask Brian, B-R-I-E-N, Ask Brian Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And we also really super appreciate the five-star reviews and all the good 
feedback that we give. And if you have feedback that's not good, we don't want that. So don't send it to us. No, just kidding. <laughs> Leave us a review or let us know if you want to tell us something else. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to KHS 1220 98.1 FM. Ask Brian with our guest today, Greg Davies. Thanks. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.